0: turn with them in your bibles please to luke's gospel chapter 21 luke chapter 21 if you would we're in a series that i've called questions for jesus i'm very indebted today to dr david jeremiah and and uh Uh, other people that have been able to get information for for this Calvary Chapel Uh, you may not realize that when I deal with this topic questions for Jesus and I started it out do you remember will only a few be saved that's the constant Calvinism Armenian debate who can be saved and Jesus assures us in scripture that he did not come and die for a minority There will be an abundance of people who will be in heaven. And you know how we wrapped it up? You'll be surprised of who's not there, who is there, and most of all that you're there. And so how many will truly be saved? And then last time we were together when I was speaking, I speak, I I speak, I speak on the subject, I spoke to you on the topic of the question, Lord, don't you care? Don't you care that I'm going through this difficult time? Well, today we're going to continue that in Luke chapter 21. You may not realize it, guys, but in the four Gospels, there were 187 questions that were asked to Jesus Christ. And Dr. Danny, did you know that Jesus only answered three of the 187? In fact, he kind of turned it around on them. The Bible tells us that in those four Gospels, Jesus asked 309 questions. People would ask him a question. He would use the Socratic rebuttal method in reverse and answer their question with a question. It's a great form of teaching that naturally since he's Jesus, he, ma- he mastered. Well, this week there have been... Two events that have happened in the last seven days that lead me to the question we're going to talk about today and the two events that happened one was the human tragedy of the earthquakes that happened in Turkey and Syria where now tens of thousands of people and we're not to the end of the death count on that yet whose lives have been suddenly taken without time for preparation and then also in our own country this week the great concern of the China spy balloon that came across our country where one Air Force general has now said that they were collecting military data for sure and we know that and it's caused people to say are we in the last days questions have been asked to me perhaps to you does this mean that we're at the time of the end of the world Well, recently, Pew Research, that's a national organization that that documents trends within the church especially, gave these statistics. And I'm not going to bore you with all of them, but the one I was most interested in, they said that 55% of the population in America believed that Jesus Christ could return one day. They didn't say what day, but that they believed that there is a Jesus and that he would return to the world, to the earth one day. You need to know that's a significantly high number, especially when I tell you they were not interviewing evangelical Christians. That was a survey taken of all people, of all races, of all religions, and of all political viewpoints, which begs the question, why? Why is it that now we're in a season of life where people think the world could be coming to an end more so than any other time? What has happened in the cultural, political atmosphere to cause this to come, come about in these days? Well, think about what's happened. Look back on 2022. It began even as a very turbulent year, and, and the truth is it's been turbulent for the last few years. Back in, Marcia, back in March, Russia invaded Ukraine. And though official estimates are really hard to get, even the most conservative estimates will tell us that between 200,000 and 400,000 Russian and Ukrainian troops have been killed or wounded during this time, not counting the civilians. So when you have hundreds of thousands of people and millions of people dealing with the thought of wars and rumors of wars, that gets people's attention. In addition to that, in the next five weeks, we will celebrate the third anniversary of this little virus that we call coronavirus that's come around. And as of this month, the death count from COVID in the world has now topped 6.6 million people. And then add to that, if you're not miserable enough yet, the inflation that's happened in the last 12 to 15 months in this country, not only in this country, but around the world. You need to know that this escalating price increase has impacted virtually every country, third world countries, advanced countries, everywhere in the world. And it has specifically been very hard hitting on low and middle class income people. So today is the third message in this series that people ask questions of Jesus. And the scripture I'm using is Luke 21, but the, uh, the, the, the parallel verses to this could also be found in Matthew chapter 24 and Mark's gospel chapter 13. In Matthew's gospel and also in Luke and Mark, Jesus is asked the question on the tip of everyone's tongue. It's on the screen. Would you notice that he said, Lord, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now I want to say some things to you. Lean up close and get them. You need to know that the Bible does predict the future. You need to know that the Bible clearly predicts the future. But the problem is with prophecy and predictions in the population of human beings that proclaim to teach the word of God is that there seems to be two extremes. There's the extreme of people that make overstatements about the return of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately, there's also the position of the understatement of the Not important to discuss the return of Jesus Christ. Some overstate it. Some people are fanatics about Bible prophecy. They can see a demon in every church. They can see more through a keyhole than the Holy Spirit can see through an open window. They think that every blood moon is the last blood moon. John Hagee got rich on the last blood moon. Trust me on that. There's more money that's been made in the name of Jesus Christ toward the end of time than you possibly can imagine. Jack Van Impey, bless his heart, he's in heaven. And I had a great deal of respect for Jack Van Impey. And he's in heaven today. But I know he wanted to be here so he could film the rapture and sell you a CD on it or a DVD of it. He he could sell anything. And he said something. He said, I'm going to tell you the answer. And if you send me $24.95 to Royal Oak, Michigan. Did you ever notice it's the Michigan people that want our money? And And he said, I'm going to send you this DVD that will be very helpful to you in the days ahead. But literally, there are people who build their entire ministry around the prophecy and the return of Jesus Christ. And everything is sensationalized. They see everything is a sign from God. The Jewish festivals, the blood moons, the logo of Starbucks is of the devil. So you can't drink Starbucks. My wife said, I'm giving up then. I'm going to drink Starbucks. I'm going to stay with it. They think everything's a sign from God. But honestly, guys, can I be frank with you since that's my name? There's an other side of this extreme, and it's the understatement. There are good teachers, godly men, that teach doctrine and soteriology and salvation and grace and sanctification, but for some reason become death, deathly silent when it comes to telling people about the truth that this world is not our home, that there is an end date coming, that we're time-stamped, that there is an expiration date. And because so many people overstate it, maybe they say, hey, let's not talk about it. And it's a refusal, literally, to deal with end times of prophecy. So today, what I want to do, as much as I can, is approach this in a balanced way and let the Word of God speak to us where the Word of God speaks to us. And the scripture I've chosen, I'm well aware of that I'm not even qualified to speak on is such a deep portion of scripture and we won't delve into it, but we'll barely touch it. But today I have the audacity to tell you that I'm going to predict the future and I'm going to predict the future through the lens of Luke chapter 21 and I'm going to tell you things that the word of God says it will happen And, and I'm going to give you four certainties about prophecies that you can take out of here and say I know that these four things are going to happen in the future not because Pastor Frank said them but because the Word of God said them trust me you can take this to the bank and let's start with this in the back of your bulletin if you'd like to jot them down the first thing that you can take to the bank is there will be an end life will not go on indefinitely forever as it is There will be, and I know I'm starting in a general way, but let's pick it up in verse 7. Do you have your Bible open? Say amen. Amen. It says, beginning in verse 7, So they, the they as being the disciples, asked him, and that's Jesus they're asking, saying, Teacher, when will these things be? And what sign will there be that these things are about to take place? And he said to them, Take heed that you do not be deceived. It's so easy for us to be deceived. The Lord says, Pay attention. For many will come in my name. You know, that's happened a whole lot. A lot of folks have come in the name of Jesus Christ, either declaring to be Jesus or coming in his name and having exclusive rights. And I won't go into the list, but I have a whole list on the edge of my mind that I could give you in the last 100 years that have led people such astray. Many will come in in, in my name saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near. Therefore, don't go after them. But when you hear of wars... And commotions, do not be terrified. Why is that? Because we've always had wars. We've always had commotions. He said, do not be terrified. For these things must come to pass first, but the end is not come immediately. Now, that's not to say that the end will not come. But Jesus was trying to tell his Jewish followers that the end would not come immediately. It will come definitely, but it will come in God's perfect time. Just like when Jesus came, the Bible says Jesus came in the fullness of time. So go down with me in your scripture to verse 32. Jesus is talking, and he says, Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away. Notice that. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. One day, this world will end. We know that for sure from a biblical perspective. We know that the world will come to an end. We know that Matthew 24 and Luke 21 and Mark 13 deal with that in detail. And these three separate scriptures are all similar to what we know as the Olivet Discourse. The discussion that Jesus was having with his disciples as he was walking up that hillside. And there's Jesus saying to them, guys, the end is going to come. I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, with all the sincerity you can, the end is going to come. Will you do that? The end is going to come. This will be over one day. Now, Jesus knew that. Jesus shared that. But not only did Jesus give us that, the apostle Paul knew that to be a truth when he gave us that great scripture in 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection of the dead. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 24, Paul said, "Then comes the end when he delivers the, that great, I'm sorry, when he delivers the kingdom of God, the Father, and he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power." So Paul said, the end is coming. Jesus said, the end is coming." Simon Peter not only said the end was coming, but he gave us a graphic description of how that end is going to take place. Did you know that? In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, Peter says, then comes the, uh, uh, it says, the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements, everything that you can imagine, will melt with fervent heat. I tell people all the time, I know that you want to be successful in life. I know you want to climb the ladder, but you be very careful which building you put that ladder on because one day that ladder is going to burn. And you want to be on the right building when that time comes because the Bible says that the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? And that word dissolved means to unloose, to be unfitted, to be, watch this, to be uncreated, one writer said. What God has created will become uncreated. And one thing that everyone agrees on, though we do not know exactly when or the exact process of, but theologians agree that one day this world is going to end. The universe is running down. I want you to write this down somewhere. This world is prepackaged for destruction. God created it. Sin entered into the world. And this world is prepackaged for destruction. It's like a clock that's been wound up. It's going to unwind and it will run no more. Did you ever notice things don't get better with age? Cars don't get shinier the longer you own them. They deteriorate. They break down. Human beings over time don't get stronger as they get older. They grow weaker. I had a picture that I was going to show you today. So one of the strong bodybuilders. And what he looked like when he was in his peak. And then what Arnold Schwarzenegger looks like today. I had to take an aspirin after I saw what he looked like today. In a swimsuit in California. If you do not believe in the second law of deterioration, just look in the mirror. The older you get. You know, I tell you all the time, when you're young, you're buff. you got muscles, biceps, triceps, all those things. But when you get old... You, you know your chest drops in your drawers you just don't, it's tough things just go away that you thought would always be there and uh, human beings over time will, will deteriorate the second law of thermodynamics proves that there will be an end that's one prediction, there is an end do you think the world's going to come to an end one day would you say amen, amen. well whether you believe it or not the word of God says it's going to happen here's the second thing you can take to the bank and that is Jesus is coming back General Douglas MacArthur said, I will be back. But Jesus Christ said it first. He said, I am coming back. Notice in verse 27 of chapter 21, one sentence. It says, then, and that's then after all the things he's already talking about. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now you need to know something. That term, Son of Man, is a messianic term. It's not a term that Christians, Gentiles, really used. It's borrowed from Daniel chapter 7 in dealing with the Messianic lordship of Jesus Christ that would come one day. It's a vision of the Son of Man who's given a kingdom. And there Jesus is saying they'll see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with great glory. And in Matthew chapter 24, remember there are three scriptures that deal with this. In Matthew 24, Jesus is walking up the hill with the disciples at the Mount of Olives, and somebody standing there asked him the question. Notice the same question in Matthew 24. They said, not only when will these things happen, but what is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now, isn't that an odd question to ask someone who's standing right beside you, to ask them, so when are you coming? Well, I'm already here. What do you mean, when am I coming? Well, the reason they said, asked the question, when are you coming? They didn't think of the second coming. You see, Jewish people believe that Messiah would come and set up his lordship on earth at that time that he came. They're saying, what will be that pronunciation? What will be that profound moment that you set up your kingdom while you're here? How will we know when you're taking over at this time? And it befuddled them that they couldn't understand what he was saying. That the Messiah is going to now rule us what they wanted. That he would have lordship over all their enemies. They wanted to know what is that punctuating event, Lord, that will let us know. Well, sometimes, if you notice this, Jesus is slow to answer our questions, we think. Amen? He didn't really answer it to them then. But it's amazing if you watch 48 hours. 48 hours later, he gave them a good answer. Forty-eight hours later, after they ask the question, when are you setting up the kingdom? When is it going to happen? He takes them in an upper room, celebrates the Last Supper with them, and shares the words that are so very, very precious that he's gonna let them know that he's gonna uh, he unloads the truth. Guys, the truth is, I'm going to be crucified on a cross. I'm going to die but I will be resurrected. And at that point, you have to know that those disciples, under the influence of a little bit of grape juice and crackers, said in their mind, does not compute. That's not what we thought. We wanted you to do it right now. But in that conversation, my, one of my favorite portions of Scripture in all the Bible is on the screen right now. John chapter 14. You know it so well. I want you to say it out loud with me. Would you? Ready? Go. Isn't that comforting? What Jesus was saying to them is, guys, I'm going. I'm out of here. But I'm coming again. And I'm coming again so that where I am, you may be also. I'm preparing a place for you for all of eternity. And no matter how much you love this earth, you've got to remember you won't live nearly as long on this earth as you will live in all of eternity. And since Jesus spoke those words 2,000 years ago, may I tell you that that phrase has become the blessed hope of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, that's why Paul in Titus chapter 2 said these words, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why some of the most historic songs in the Christian hymnal are related to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we've even blundered understanding those things. We sing them at Christmas because we've associated the coming of Jesus with the little baby in the manger in Bethlehem. And it's not true. Isaac Watts' famous hymn, Joy to the World, the Lord has come, let earth receive her king, has nothing to do with Jesus in the manger. It has everything to do with Jesus coming back as King of kings and Lord of lords. Or the hymn that Charles Wesley wrote, Come Thou Long-Expected Jesus. It's about the second coming. Julia Ward Howe, during the end of the Civil War, wrote the great song, The Battle Hymn of the Republic. Mine eyes have seen the, come, seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. It's about the second coming. The second coming was pronounced on the tip of their tongue, and it's very dominant throughout all of Scripture. Did you know that? Did you know that the second coming dominates so much of the Scripture? You say, how much? Did you know that 1,845 verses in the Bible deal with the second coming of Jesus Christ? And in case you don't think that's much, that's one out of every 25 verses in the entire Bible. We're reminded over, and why do we need to be reminded? Because we're Baptists. We have to be reminded over and over and over that Jesus is coming again, that Jesus has everything in control. So two things we can predict. The end of the world will happen. Number two, Jesus is coming. The third thing I'd like you to jot down is simply this. There will be signs before it happens. There will be signs Did you notice the question in verse 7? They ask him this. Notice on the screen or in your Bible. Teacher, but when will these things be? Now watch how much the word sign is used. And what sign will there be that these things are about to take place? Look at verse 11. And there will be great earthquakes in various places, famines, pestilences. And there will be frightful signs and great sights and great signs from heaven. Go down to verse 25. And there will be signs in the sun, the moon, the stars, and on earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them from fear, and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven will be shaken. Go down to verse 31. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near. God is a God of signs. He gives indicators when things are about to happen. And do you know why he does that? He wants his people. He wants you. He wants me to be aware of when he's doing something. Just like a road sign that's in front of you, he tells you what's coming along. I don't know if you've ever connected it, but in the Old Testament, there's a verse in Amos chapter 3 and verse 7 that says this. Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. So when God's about to do something majestic, major, he warns his people that it's going to happen. Do you know there were signs of Jesus' first coming? Did you know in in the 39 books of the Old Testament, there were over 300 signs that Jesus would come to this world? Actually, there were 330 of them. We had signs and symbols and warnings that Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, that Messiah would come in the lineage of King David, that he would arrive before the temple is destroyed, and and, and then also that the last days would begin following his coming. Now, I know I'm smart enough to know this, and you do too. The Bible says that the last days, what are the last days? They began after Christ's death and resurrection. The New Testament church was born, and that was the beginning of the last days. It's been 2,000 years we've been looking for the blessed hope. But I contend to you this morning that we are in the last days of the last days. Perhaps we're in the last minutes of the last days of the last days. And as we look at Scripture to see this, it reminds us of the coming soon of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think there's some indication that we could be in the last days right now. If you were with us two years ago when I did a study on Daniel, and following this, I'm probably going to do a study on end times in the weeks ahead, you'll remember the 70th week of Daniel, that seven-year period that's talked about as the 70th week. In the New Testament, parallel to that, we call it the tribulation. And that tribulation period is very specific, especially the last three and a half years. The last three and a half years is referred to as that great tribulation where Jesus himself said there will be tribulation on the world such as never been seen nor will ever be seen again. Now, I want you to know I do not believe for one moment that we're in that time right now. I do not believe it's happening right now and we're not in that future time of tribulation, but it seems to me that we're right up against the edge of it. That it's just so, so close. The time that Jesus taught would come. That Paul warned people that would come. That Simon Peter graphically described that would take place with the elements being destroyed. So Jesus gave signs. And it was like birth pains of a woman giving birth. I don't know about you men, but the biggest wake-up call to me was not when my wife and I were married. It was not when we had our first argument. It was not when we had our last argument. But the most amazing thing that happened to me that changed my whole perspective on everything was when it was time for her to give birth to our first son. The year was 1973, and we lived in a small place down in southern West Virginia, and she was due on July the 10th, and she was popped out there like a fall pumpkin ready to go. It was amazing. And on July the 10th, I go pop, pop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. Have that baby. And it didn't happen. July the 11th, it didn't happen. July the 12th, it didn't happen. The 13th, it didn't. She'd, say, she'd go, Ooh, I said, You okay? He Baby, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. And then it would happen about once or two times a week, and then it started happening every day. And then I said, Are you okay? She said, I'm good. And there was a young man from Cambodia by the name of Bullet that was going to college there, and he needed an apartment. I said, Deborah, I'm going to take just two hours. Are you okay? I'm okay. I'm going to go get Bullet an apartment. I'll be back. And so I left, and when I came back, my mother-in-law was in my driveway. You don't ever want your mother-in-law to show up when your wife is five days late giving birth to a baby, and you're not in the house. Say amen. Amen. So I come in, and my mother-in-law said, Where were you at? You know, she, she is in pain. We've got to get to the doctor. Yes, ma'am. So she had this car. We all get in the car. We drive to Bluefield Hospital. And what's amazing in those days, and Pastor Cheryl Michael and your precious wife, Diana, are here from Bluefield Church of the Nazarene. Don't tell this story when you go back home. But uh, you had to go up the stairs to get to the emergency room. I thought, boy, that's really patient friendly, isn't it? And so, and so we get Deborah up there and her mom up there, and they had this window you had to check in to get in the hospital. And all of a sudden, Deborah goes, Oh! And I looked down, there was a big puddle of water. I said, Her water broke. I heard y'all talking about water. She just broke a bucket full right there. Glory to God. And I didn't realize the janitor had just spilled his bucket right at the (laughs) at the window when it happened. So I'm scared to death what's happening. And they calm me down a little bit. And then we go in the delivery room. And in those days, all you young men, they delivered babies the right way. Women to the right, husbands to the waiting room. (laughs) You were not allowed to go in the delivery room with your own wife. It's the way life ought to be. It was precious. And so I went in that waiting room and just waited for her to give me that baby. And we're in there. And in an hour, I could hear, oh, and no baby. Four hours later, no baby. Six hours later, no baby. Twelve hours later, no baby. Her brother was with me. Her uncle was with me. I couldn't take it anymore. There were no cell phones. I said, you stay here. If they come get me, we're across the street shooting pool at the pool hall. (laughs) And we went all hush. We went across the street, and we shot Poole because she would not produce that baby, Austin. And so we're over there, and finally it's time. We come over, and, and, and all of a sudden it goes, pop! Out comes Wally, and the doctor comes. He said, Mr. Carl, your wife has had a baby, and here he is. And he lifted him up in the window. I said, oh, dear God, that's not my baby. I said, my wife would never have anything that ugly. They'd use those salad forks to jerk him out. You know, it was terrible. And he said, oh, no, he's yours and his equipment works. He peed all over me as he was being held up. But I want to tell you, the delivery was wonderful. Hey, you can't get this kind of preaching at any other church in Columbus. But what was wonderful were those birth pains for me to not understand that though it can hurt and you can seem like it's coming and it didn't come, it waited, it waited, and that's what Jesus has done. It seems like that it should be there. We're not there. We don't understand it. But when it comes, you better not be in the pool hall. You better be right where you're supposed to be at that time. And the Bible describes it as giving having birth pains. And you heard about the... Guy's in the waiting room, didn't you? The nurse came out and said, Mr. Smith. And he said, yes, he said, your wife has just had twins. He said, that's kind of neat, neat. I work for the Minnesota Twins. So we have twins. And then she goes back. Another minute she comes out, and there's another guy who said, Mr. Jones, yes, your wife just had triplets. He said, that's great. I worked for 3M. And when she said that, the guy sitting beside him fell over, passed out. They reviled him. and said, what's wrong? He said, dear God, I work for 7-Up. But... <laughs> So we have all this cataclysm on earth, and then there's a reprieve that happens. But guys, the closer we get, those birth pains are going to get closer and stronger until the end comes. Notice what it says in verse 28. Now when these things, those things that we've been talking about, when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws nigh. And and so just consider some of the things that are going to happen Dr. David Jeremiah lists four things that I want to share with you that he said we can look for when the Lord's second coming is about to happen. Number one, Israel will be in their own land. In fact, he goes on to say that this could not happen until Israel was in their land. And on May the 14th, 1948, you know that date is significant and a prophetic date because Israel is back in their own land. Why is that important? Because Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13, the context of these chapters is all Jewish. This is a scripture talking to the Jewish people. It's not Baptist. It's not Presbyterian. It's not even American. It's Jewish. They're talking about Jerusalem. They're talking about Sabbath worship. They're talking about the city that's there. It says, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and pray that your flight not happen on the Sabbath. So the events that happen make sense. If they happen then, when he's speaking them 2,000 years later, it makes sense to us again. And uh, after 1948, such a big deal over that is that, number one, Israel is in their land. And here's something else that's important. If you'll jot it down, that is a coalition of certain nations would have to happen. A, a, A coalition of certain nations. And I believe that that coalition is taking place right now. I'm speaking about three nations in particular, Russia, Iran, and Turkey. Let me bring you up to speed in case you haven't known it in the last 30 days or so. In recent years, Vladimir Putin has made it no bones, no secret, that he wants to reunify the Soviet bloc to what it once was in its majestic grandeur. He sort of snuck into Georgia, not the state of Georgia here, but the Republic of Georgia back in 2008... And he annexed Crimea in 2015. And in March of last year, 2022, he invaded Ukraine all according to his grand plan. But trust me, that's only the beginning. Did you know that Vladimir Putin and the Russian bloc have plans even for the Middle East and what's happening over there? You may not know it, but Russia has established a permanent naval base in Syria with over 1,000 officers serving out of that naval base. And, And they have an interesting relationship that we've never seen historically. The Mossad chief this past month, David Barnea said, and I mean the month of January, said that Iran has delivered weapons to Russia the past few months and plans to deliver more weapons to Russia in the future. In fact, it was the it, it, these weapons that came from Iran were the ones that were being shelled over into the Ukraine for the last four months. So, Russia and Iran are interesting to watch, and then there's a third party that I mentioned, and that is Turkey. Turkey, you know, that's where the, this horrific earthquake took place on Monday. Is overseen by the president. Erdogan, who was at one time a moderate Muslim, but has now gone to the extreme far right side of that. In 2017, under his leadership, Turkey signed a document with Russia for a 2.5 billion state of the art nuclear development program. The Trump administration sanctioned them for that, but they just went on with it. You see, Frank, why is that important? It's important because the Bible predicts that there will be, a, in the end of days, a battle fought against Israel from a coalition of nations. And not just any coalition of nations. In Ezekiel 38 and Ezekiel 39, it describes those nations, and it even names those nations. One group is called Magog, Rosh, and Meshek, and the historians will tell you that that's Russia. They make a coalition of Russia and, and, and Persia, which is modern-day Iran. And they also make a coalition with the nation of Gomer, which is today's modern-day Turkey. So you have Russia, you have Iran, you have Turkey. And it says in that text that they'll form a coalition and they'll come against Israel in the last days. And that presupposes certain conditions. Number one, it presupposes that Israel will, in fact, be a nation. We can scratch that off. It happened May the 14th, 1948. So the precondition that Israel has to be in the present land, and not only just in the land, but they need to be prosperous. If you've ever studied the GDP of Israel, it's one of the most prosperous countries in all of the Mideast. In Ezekiel 36, verse 11, notice what it says. I will multiply you, I will do better for you than at your beginning, describing the prosperity in Israel. And not just in the country, not just prosperous, but also Peaceful. Have you looked at the Middle East in the last 100 years? It's not a peaceful place. It's a pretty rough neighborhood. You think the ghettos of Columbus or New York are rough. The Middle East is a rough place for Israel to be stuck right in the middle of. They have 400 million neighbors that would just as soon see the Jewish people dead as to take their next breath of air. And yet they still exist. So Ezekiel 38 describes Israel right before the battle as a peaceful people dwelling in security, dwelling in safety, which leads me to the third observation, and that is Israel and that region in recent years has become more peaceful, and that goes against all historic norms. It's more peaceful than it's ever been. Back in 2020, on September the 15th, 2020, there was a historic document signed on the South White House lawn known as the Abraham Accord. And the, country, the, the foreign ministers of the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain signed a peace accord with Israel. Unheard of. It's never happened. Since then, two more Muslim countries, Morocco and Sudan, have also signed on. And since then, Kosovo, though not, though not Arab, but definitely Muslim, has signed on to what we know as these Abraham Accords. And most recently, Israel had a new prime minister sworn in, though he was not new to Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, who is now serving his sixth term as prime minister of Israel. He, int- he intends to make peace, are you ready for this, with Saudi Arabia. Do you remember the date, September the 11th, 2001? The whole world was looking at Saudi Arabia because that's where the terrorists, they felt, were coming from. And, and now they're talking peace. And why is that important? Because, guys, isn't that what you've been praying for for hundreds of years? Haven't Christians been praying for the peace of Jerusalem? You know the psalm, Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. And Christians for hundreds of years have prayed for the peace in Jerusalem. I want you to know something. God is answering your prayer. There's more peace in Israel right now than there has been in any time in history since the reconvening in 1948 but second it's a prophetic message because a precondition for this war in the last days of Gog and Magog against Israel is regional stability that everything seems to be going along fine that that things are working out now we know that a leader a dictator will come and set up a seven-year pact with Israel We call him the Antichrist, commonly, though he's known by 50 different titles throughout the Bible. And he will set up a time where with the people of Israel, they'll buy into it. And he'll set up his office, if you will, in the heart of Jerusalem. But in the middle of the seven-year peace treaty, he'll break that thing. He promises to protect them, and then he'll break it. it's almost like you're looking at a chessboard. The the, the pieces are lining up in, in a very interesting fashion. And then there's one more trend under Dr. David Jeremiah's idea that I want you to write down, and that is the world is being conditioned for government control. Would you agree with that? The world is being conditioned for government control. Look at verse 11. He gives us a list of signs. He says, there will be great earthquakes in various places. Well, I know there have always been great earthquakes that go on, but notice what it says. There will be famines in Pestilences? What is a pestilence? It's not your mother-in-law. What What does it mean? A pestilence, it's right there. If you were to look in Webster's Dictionary, the definition of pestilence, it says this, and I'm quoting. A pestilence is a contagion or infectious epidemic that is virulent and devastating. Now, primarily, and I want to be responsible here, these are signs that deal specifically with the tribulation period. And I do not think that COVID is part of the tribulation period. Hear me when I say that. It just felt like it was apocalyptic. It just felt like that it was worldwide. It affected nearly everyone and provided universal overreach for governments from third world countries to the United States of America to reach in and claim power they had no right to claim, tell some people they were essential, tell churches they were non-essential, and shut down and open up at their will. And almost for the very first time all my life, I always wondered, how do you get the mark of the beast? In the 70s, I was told if you do direct bank depositing, you're getting the mark of the beast. I was told later that they, when you get shots and vaccines, that's the mark of the beast. Well, for sure now, we see there is a way that they can identify every person on the face of the earth. Do you know how uh, the, the governments in the world can control a whole population and move them? With just one element called fear. Instill fear in them. And you can move them back and forth like checkers on a board. Get them scared and they'll do anything. I believe that this world is being conditioned for government control, the introduction of the Antichrist and all that's there. And those are just some of the signs. But I want to end today's message with this number one, the world will end. Number two, Jesus will return. Number three, there will be signs. But number four, we will be saved we will be saved. And guys, I'm not just talking about eternal spiritual salvation. We will be saved from the wrath to come. We will be saved from the tribulation period. And I think we should give praise to God for that this morning. It doesn't mean that times are not going to be tough. It doesn't mean that we're not going to experience tribulation in the world. Jesus promised that we will experience tribulation. But the great tribulation is totally different from any tribulation that we've ever experienced on this earth. And in that, we will be saved. The truth is we are already saved. And I understand that. But again, I'm talking about being saved from something specific. Would you look in verse 28 with me? This is, this is where it gets gooder and gooder. In verse 28, and I'll close with this, it says, when these things begin to happen, it's like Deborah's going, oh! Do I have time to shoot a game of pool? Shoot it quick, oh! It's coming. (laughs) When these things begin to happen... Look up and lift up your head, church, because your redemption draws nigh. I know the world's terrible. I know things are tough. I know you don't trust anyone. But you'll always be able to trust Jesus. And when things make you want to look down and you want to be happy but you have to be sad, you look up because verse 28 says your redemption is getting really close. Look down at verse 36. Watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to what? Escape all these things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. These things are coming. He says, but pray these things. Now, I know that today we live in what theologians call the church age. Do you know what the church age is? It's the age of grace. And currently, God is doing incredible work bringing his church together all around the world. But the church is going to come to an end, and it's going to come to an end suddenly, without warning, without warning. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ shall rise. We'll be caught up to be with the Lord. Dr. John Walford from Dallas Theological Seminary, who's in heaven today, did a great example of this. He said, if you want to know the difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ, he said, just think of Christmas. Stores put Christmas trees in their windows in August. Is there an amen in the house? They start, this is the big thing. Christmas is coming, Christmas is coming. The second coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. And he said, "If you're not careful, you'll have your focus so much on Christmas that you'll miss Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving just kind of slips in there. The rapture's Thanksgiving. I tell people, "Look for the turkey, not the tree." You look for what's going to come without notice, without warning. In the twinkling of an eye, Jesus is going to come. We should look up, hold our head eye. The church age will abruptly come to an end. The rapture of the church. But then after that, make no mistake about it, Daniel's 70th week, the tribulation period, will happen. If you want to know what it's really going to be like for an afternoon discussion, go home and read as a family Revelation chapter 4 through Revelation chapter 19 and just see everything that's going to unfold the events of the tribulation period. And after that, Jesus will return from heaven with his church, and he's going to quell all rebellion on this earth, and he's going to take his place in the Middle East. He'll establish his kingdom. And I want you to know there are all kinds of signs for that to begin to happen. Paul reiterates it. Jesus says it. Peter describes it. But you need to know that the rapture is a signless event that could happen even during this church service. It could happen at any time. We're starting to see the shadows fall around us. It seems like you can almost smell it in the air. It's almost here. That baby is going to come. Jesus is going to come the second time. It's right around the corner. The worst time in history on this earth will be the last three and a half years of revelation. But I want to say this to you if you're a child of God. And if you're a child of God, you're saved. Your sins are forgiven you've trusted in Jesus Christ, and you know that you're know that you going to heaven, I want you to raise your hand right now and give glory to God for that. For every one of you that have your hand up in the air, listen to what the Bible says. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Jesus said, when you see these things, lift up your head because your redemption draweth nigh. It's the midnight cry when Jesus will come again.